Welcome to The Edges of Lean. I'm Bella Engelbach, and in this podcast, we explore the human and creative side of lean thinking, unusual places where lean thinking is practiced. We meet people who are practicing continuous improvement in many different flavors and styles. So come along with me on a journey to the edges of lean. Episode 83, Continuously Improving Your Employees' Experiences with Laurieann Duguay. Laurieann Duguay worked in government for two decades, and it was there, she says, that she learned how not to treat employees. Now she works with organizations to help them create happier, more effective workplaces by focusing on the employee experience as a process that can and should be continuously improved. Laurieann joined me to share her experiences and insights. Laurieann Duguay, welcome to the Edges of Lean. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Hey, Laurieann, it's wonderful to have you here today. And I would love it if you would tell us about yourself and sort of your your career biography. Okay, so I actually uh, started out in government and I spent 21 years working within government in a variety of roles, ranging from, you know, just a consultative role to a a more strategic HR uh, role later on in my career. At the end of 21 years, I realized, actually I would say it would be about the 17, 18 year mark, I realized that I had more or less checked out of the workplace culture, more or less become a a tenant, if you will, of that uh, environment. So started looking at other options, went back to school to do my postgraduate in HR management, labor relations, and decided to start doing consulting on the side. Uh, Little did I know that apparently a lot of people require support and, and, and advice and insight relevant to creating better people management processes. So uh, it, it just organically grew without any marketing whatsoever and eventually ended up where I was taking all my time off, all my vacation to do projects. So I thought, you know what, let's try this on a full-time basis for a one-year uh, trial and see if I can make this into a full-time gig. And here I am two years later, never looking back and no regrets and have permanently severed my ties with government and get to work at making happier more engaging workplaces on a daily basis. So I feel extremely blessed for that. Well, that's a terrific story. I mean, that that really is. And, and taking that leap out of the, you know, the industry or government, or, you know, wherever you're working and, and, and taking that leap. I mean, I like the way you that you did it, which was to do it experimentally. So you work with organizations, helping them to create healthier, happier, and more productive workplaces. And this is something that's a really great interest to those of us who are in continuous improvement and lean, um, especially those of us who really have come to understand that it's all about people, right? And one of the things that I think is a frustration to many of us when we work with organizations is that HR is not always on board with that. You know, mm-hmm. HR doesn't... Um, Oh, you know, HR takes more of a transactional approach, and I and I'm not dissing any HR people. I've had some wonderful, wonderful HR um, colleagues and partners and people who really kind of get it, um, but they don't always. So when you are looking, when oh, when when the clients are looking for you, how 
is that request coming from the HR department? Is it coming from the C-level? The, the Where's it coming from? That's a really interesting question. So uh, to the short of it, not coming from HR, because I've noticed in our field, there's really two buckets of HR folk, the more transactional operational HR people, um, you know, who, 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 who are well-versed in payroll and policies and procedures. And then there's the more strategic HR folk who really um, tend to, to look at that, that overarching, um, the way that we're engaging our people, that, that overarching employee experience, and they're tasked with really reworking that. I fall into the latter group. What I've found is that HR folks, in, like when you do come into a client, um, I'll often encounter some pushback. I feel like they're a bit, there's a bit of posturing happening where they feel like they're territorial and, 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 and they that maybe we're coming in as a judgment, but we're actually coming in uh, as a supplement, right? We're, we're mm -hmm. accomplishing what they've already got. And we recognize that the day-to-day -day HR job is so crazy hectic that often we lack, you know, the bandwidth to be able to do take take on some of those more strategic kind of exercises. So often it is the C-suite that do approach me, the first conversation I always have with them is, do you have any HR capacity internally? And if so, can we loop them into the conversation right away? So they don't feel like it's an imposition or like we're there to judge them, but rather we're here as a, as a partner. We're here to partner with you to help build that capacity, to help you, you know, take take those strategic steps and, and start to, to establish that, that HR longer term people vision and then develop the initiatives and leave you on your way to actually, you know, implement and maintain and develop them. So that's a great question. hundred percent. Normally C-suite executives, CEOs are those approaching me in our company. Uh, and, but I always loop in HR almost immediately so that we can make sure we're building capacity with them and just to break down those, those silos and make them know and understand that we're here as a partner. We're here to partner with them, not to judge or to, uh, you know, intrude on their existing kind of sweet well, And the transactional HR people are incredibly important. I mean, there's nothing more frustrating than being a, um, a manager, being a leader and finding out that your employees are not being paid the way they're supposed to be or aren't being paid on time or that, you know, certain critical paperwork is not getting processed. I and mean, that Absolutely. stuff is just, it's so detrimental to uh, employee well-being they don't feel well taken care of when that stuff's going on so so having the transactional stuff work beautifully is really really important it's it's not unimportant at all absolutely in, in any in any respect so one of the things that, that uh we talked about when we talked previously was about this idea of process for people that that there is a, there is a people process that well that that in in lean terms we might say a value stream that you know where you have somebody coming in at the beginning of a process and they are in the company for a period of time and at the end of the, that time they leave um you know for whatever reasons they leave and that's sort of a value stream um an end-to-end -end value stream yeah. and I would love for you to talk more about that idea. Okay, I I, I love how you you 
coined it a process because it absolutely is. It's a journey. It's that that end-to-end employee experience. And it's actually what's key to driving that those levels of employee engagement up as well as uh, in, improving on your retention, increasing your ability to attract and keep the talent you need to thrive, right? The first step is to actually map out that process. What is our current state? What's our What's our baseline state employee experience that what does that journey look like when we're we're pitching them and then mapping out the different processes and procedures that are associated with kind of those touch points throughout an employee journey. So when I think of the overarching talent development touch points, I think about uh, you know, that the interview, that prospect phase where you're you're trying to pitch yourself, you're trying to attract the talent. What are some of the things we're doing to attract the talent? And how are we infusing those established 10 motivational drivers into um into these processes? How are we making sure, for example, there's 10, 10 things basically, tell, uh, 10 elements that when infused into a, a work experience will make people not only want to show up and occupy space, they'll want to show up and thrive. So one of those things, communication. How are we communicating during the interview? How are we providing enough information for candidates to make you know, an informed decision about working for our company or not? How are we pitching ourselves to them? And even in pitching ourselves to them, that's where the remainder of the process comes into play, right? We've heard uh, the, those dating apps, they talk about catfishing where you're projecting yeah. this one image, but then when you show up, you're a whole other person. Well, you need to make sure that you're delivering on that pitch that you're doing during the interview throughout the remainder of that process, right? Throughout the remainder of that employee experience. So really mapping out every stage, one for bringing them in, Okay, we've got them hooked now. They're interested. How are we onboarding them? What does that look like? What does that experience feel like for the employees? What, what are we doing to support their journey and their, their integration and their assimilation into our organization? And is it a one and done or a two-week process or is it a 120-day supported process? How can we better you know, optimize that process to make it more uh, engaging, to make sure that we're setting them up for success and we're not losing them before they even begin. I have a client who, when we tracked the retention rates, they were losing most of their folks within the first 21 days. Wow. What does that tell you about their onboarding and orientation, right? It was crazy. So it was really quick fixes that had huge rewards in terms of retention, being able to make sure they've got a training plan, make sure that they're they're, coordinated, they're connected to a buddy and a mentor. They're two separate two separate people with two separate focuses, the mentor being the more technical, transferring that and transmitting the technical aspect of that position or that job that you've been hired to do, while the buddy is there to transmit the cultural piece, to say, hey, this is how we roll here. This is where people tend to take breaks. There's a Tim Hortons up the road. Yes, I'm Canadian, so I'm going to go with the Tim Hortons. <laughs> um, so providing that that those unspoken things that, are so helpful and really facilitate the assimilation into an organization, right? Um, and integration, I should say. Uh, so, so certainly mapping out those touch points, onboarding orientation. Once they're fully trained, what are we doing to continue engaging them, continue developing them, and helping them grow within their their position or within into other positions? Right? How are we identifying high potential candidates, and how are we curating training plans and development plans for them to make sure that we're keeping them? And so, really mapping out that entire journey from the moment that they're thinking about working for you to the moment they're they're exiting and capitalizing and optimizing each of the processes and procedures associated to those touch points that I referred to throughout that employee journey to make sure that you're offering a highly engaging um, ex employee experience or process. So it's very intentional. It's it's not sort of accidental that no. 
it is. But we not. see that. We do see that in organizations. You know, someone gets hired and they might get hired in one division or department and they're super happy and everything went great. Um, and they get hired into another department and it's just not that way. So there's not there's not consistency, mm -hmm. um, you know, across departments, across silos in an organization. Absolutely. So how, how do you address that? Again, you, you talked about usually starting with the C-suite. So what's, Absolutely. What, what, the leadership what's going on there? Leadership is key and really making sure that you're training your leaders and, and, and that you're providing them with the training um, and the tools and, and the resources required to uh, adopt a standardized approach to their leadership, but also adopt a human-centered, a people-centric approach. Uh, too many leaders, you know, adhere to that old command and control. You do so because I say so. No, that's not going to resonate with the younger generations. And knowing that it's now a job seekers market, that one in four of your employees are already shopping elsewhere, then we need to really pivot it and 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 adopt that more people-centered approach. And that, you know, uh, for example, I do have a, I built an entire. Um, leadership development program. And again, I look at it as a process. It's not about I've done a leadership development program. No, it, I have a train coach connect because it's one thing to provide the training, but then you need to provide the opportunity to hone those skills and to continue practicing them. Because like with anything, you know, if you, if you take a training and then you don't use those skills for six, six months, then you're no further ahead. So I connect them with a coach and I make sure that I connect them with other leaders from across a different um, variety of industries. Because one of the things we hear loud and clear is it's a very lonely place to be, right? Being a leader is a lonely um, place because you're that conduit between your senior leadership and your direct reports. And often, number one, ego comes into play. You don't really want to tell your colleagues or your, your, your peers, your leadership peers that I'm kind of struggling with this. I've got this challenge happening and I really don't know how to contend with it, right? So what we do is we host monthly masterminds where leaders from across a variety of industries show up and they get 10 minutes dedicated to troubleshooting one of their challenges. So however many people I've got, I divide into breakout rooms and then off they go and each person, it's a timed exercise. Here's something I'm contending with. How have you guys grappled with this in the past? What has worked for you? What was, you know, kind of a lesson learned versus best practices? And so the people leave having actual strategies and having solutions to these ongoing challenges, right? So I think we need to rethink the way we develop our leadership to that it, it needs to be a, a, a at least a one year long experience for the actual development program. But then you continue to support your leadership in connecting and in networking with one another in sharing best practices so that they can continue to evolve and continuously improve on their leadership style. Right. Well, yeah, and you know nobody's ever done right. Nobody has ever learned everything, and uh, you know one of the things that we see now is that you thought that there was a lot of change in the past. There's more change. I mean, change is just the um, only constant in life today is change. Change. That's right. That that's right. So um, I'm I'm thinking about what what you said. You know, in in lean terms, we talk we talk about this concept of leader standard work. So one of the things that a leader should be doing, um, in order to be a leader, in order to truly lead, as opposed to be in command and control, where should the leader be? Um, how do they? How often do they interact with other people? How do they get information from the very you know, sort of the bottom of the organization all the way to the top. 
What are some of the things that that if that in the sort of the standardization of the leadership process that that you're the people you work with are creating? What are some of the things that they put into the the standard work? Uh, I think into their standard work. Well, the first the first step of any leadership kind of standardization is mindset and working with all hopping on board the same vision, right? And and, and that vision needs to align with the organizational vision. Before you you figure out what kind of, you know, where you want to go, you need to figure out ultimately what kind of a leader do you want to be? How do you want to show up for your people? How do you want to be remembered? That's the the way that we do any strategic planning exercise, right? We work with organizations. We say, okay, pen down the 10 years down the road, you're getting an award on stage. What do you want your company be, to be getting an award for? That's how you develop that vision. That's that one line that says, this is what we want to be remembered for, right? Same thing for leadership. You need to develop your blueprint. You need to figure out what kind of a leader you want to be, but then make sure that it's aligning with that overarching organization vision as well. By aligning it with the organizational vision, you're ensuring that all of your leaders are on the same page, ultimately, right? And that they're, they're, they're curating, however they decide to develop into the role or into that vision, can be very customized, but that ultimately it all links back to that overarching organizational vision, mission, and values, so that there is some level of standardization. So mindset being number one, but really understanding what it is we're working towards as well. Uh, next, we talk about, you know, just standard practices, coming to some understanding of, you know, what are, how frequently do we have meetings? Let's use communication as that engagement driver again, right? So how frequently do we have meetings with our teams? And this needs to be adhered to across the board. How are we going to communicate? What are our communication protocols? And what, what might that look like? How can we improve on them? And, and how much is too much information? How much is not enough? What are some of the channels that we're going to use to communicate with our people? And ensuring that those channels are prescribed by the organization and not individually kind of decided on, right? So that's where you're seeing that level of consistency, that, that, that same quality of leadership across different departments or units, whatever the case may be. So little things that we implement, but to, to standardize them so that they're being done the same way everywhere. Is that, it sounds to me as if that might have to become about as a result of some experimentation, right? Because each company is, going to, is a little bit different or a lot different. Well, they always claim they're really different, but then they're not as different as they think they are. But, um, but what works in one place isn't necessarily going to be completely the solution for somewhere else. So exactly. there has to be that, that has to be that, that learning, that experimentation, that thinking about, hey, did I, this work the way I thought it was going to work? What do I need to tweak? That ongoing evaluation, absolutely. But I mean, that's where we uh, differentiate. We always meet the organization where they're at. We figure out what are they doing right now in terms of how are they showing up in terms of infusing those 10 engagement and drivers that I talked about, those motivational mm -hmm. drivers. How are they, they how are they currently transmitting them? And if they're not, which can we prioritize? And then which makes the most sense for them operationally and then going from there as well. So it's certainly a customized approach, but I mean the methodology itself makes it that it's very customized, but also responsive to their, what they're doing well, builds on strengths that they're already doing really well, as well as developing those mitigation measures to um, address any challenges they're contending with as well. What are the, the differences that you see? You already talked about um, 
uh, new employee retention, what are some of the differences that you see when a company starts to adopt an approach like this? Um, so differences I see, huge improvements on obviously on retention, on engagement, just general production. It's crazy how much you would realize how a more engaged it's not just a nice to have employee engagement. It actually drives production. It drives performance. Uh, so really, I see tenfold uh, on all levels, increased production, increased, you know, um, increased performance from like that front line all the way through to senior leadership. It's it's crazy. It's There's a ripple effect that happens when you start to put in that, that work. Um, and, and it's imme almost immediate because when we establish that plan, those initiatives, that strategy we're talking about, short, medium, and longer term initiatives, all of which are crucial. Where I find a lot of, um, you know, the work that I've seen some some parallel companies do with organizations that to the work that we do, uh, where they fail is it's done as an initial exercise, then there's no follow through, there's no accountability. Mm. And that accountability is really, really key, that accountability, that commitment to actually deliver on it, and to understand that this is not going to be done in three months, that it is at the very least a one year, if not a three to five year engagement, to be able to really turn that culture around and to really reinvent that work environment to make sure that you are infusing all of those motivational drivers. So understanding that it is a longer term kind of commitment, but payback will be tenfold, uh, almost within the first month of implementation. It's crazy how um, different you will see your employees show up when you give them the information they need to do their job, when you are transparent in your decision-making, when you provide them the opportunity to provide you feedback on how you can better show up as an employer for them, where they feel heard, where they feel seen, where they feel valued. Crazy game changer. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that's, it's, that would be easy then. I think maybe for, you know, for some people to say, well, that well, that's great. I think we're done back to business as usual. Yeah. So, so, so that uh, desire to stay the course, make sure that it really is ingrained in the organization and that it's ingrained in the, the leadership structure and in succession planning. So if somebody leaves, you don't lose the whole thing, which no, you've got that knowledge transfer, right? For sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you were um, sort of you know, working with an organization, a small organization that was growing rapidly, what would be some of the advice that you would give the leaders of that organization? Um, one of the things is to prioritize uh, your communication strategy and to, to prioritize um, working alongside marketing slash communications. Uh, for all of your, all of your different, um, for making sure that you're looping back, sorry, I'm kind of uh, looking all over for my words here, but really making sure that you involve communications and marketing in every step of that journey, of that growth journey, because I think where they make or break it is they fail to provide the level of information to employees in terms of that long-term vision for growth, but also that rapidly expanding and keeping them in the know as we're going and, and celebrating those successes, not, not just at the end of the year, but throughout the year to make sure that people are on board and that you're harnessing that, that momentum, that, that excitement, and, and being able to really use it as fuel 
to um, further improve on, on, on the performance of your people, because at the end of the day, you're reliant on your people to be able to deliver on, you know, to, to, to your people are your greatest asset in terms of um, actually getting the work done and getting it done in a way that, 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 you know, will increase your revenue, increase your, your, your sales, increase your production, right? So, so you really need to invest in your people and invest in, in, in formalizing the framework, standardizing to be able to have the infrastructure in place, the framework in place to accommodate that rapid growth. Really investing in your people processes is, is key. I'm actually working with a company that had like 10, 10 employees and within, uh, 10, 15 years, they now have acquisitions in Hungary, Germany, Switzerland, Malaysia, two in the States, as well as in Canada here, which is the home base. They've went from having, you know, 10 to 15 employees to having, I, I think they're upwards of 1500 uh, globally now. So that was a very short time for that company to grow as much as it did. So when they brought me in, their engagement level was 21%, which would, and, and it was- Oh, wow. But- Surprisingly, their turnover was quite low because the nature of the work itself was interesting enough and challenging enough that it made people kind of stick around. However, they stuck around, but that 21% tells us that they were probably only performing at about 40% of what they're capable of, right? So they brought me in to develop that whole talent um, development strategy and, and that will help really fuel that rapid growth because they have their intent is to double within the next three years. <laughs> so that being said, they need to make sure that they have programs to identify high potential to, to, to start to grow the succession of some of these leadership roles, right? That they have a really comprehensive leadership academy. So they're providing the tools and processes and resources to their, uh, their leadership team to be able to accommodate, you know, and coach and empower their teams to continue to harness that growth, right? Uh, they need to make sure that they're, providing continuous um, growth opportunities to existing employees and developing their existing employees and investing in them so that they feel like they've got room to grow within the organization, that they need to develop a, a comprehensive rewards and recognition program and understand that managers need to, to, to recognize that rewards and recognition is not bringing coffee on a Friday. And it's not a costly endeavor, but there's a way of doing it much more effectively to make sure that it's actually reaping the rewards that you seek when you initially take time to recognize those employees, right? And that you're being fully inclusive in that recognition program as well. Uh, anyways, a number of different initiatives to be able to then have this really robust talent management, talent development program that's going to um, facilitate that rapid growth. That's, uh, that's really important because when companies can can succeed on the the, the 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 growth side on the global side and really lose on the people side, right? You know, and yeah, then absolutely. and then they they're not really doing as well as they think they are because of the. And frankly, it costs money. To, oh my god! Uh, A disengaged employee is costing on average thirty four hundred per ten thousand uh, dollar chunk of salary. So if they're at sixty thousand dollars a year, thirty four hundred times six right so that's that's how much it's cost them in lost production and time but they fail to recognize that i actually there's a, a roi expert that i've worked with and she's working at 
developing the actual formulas for ev for, for, for some of my major projects that I've done in the past to really land on what was the ROI of that investment. And it is crazy. It is the investment for our services is a drop in the bucket for what it brought back to the organization. And once you start to actually monetize those savings and then the value, it's crazy. It makes so much sense when, when you think about it, but it is difficult, I think, you know, for, for a company that's in the growth phase to think about that investment, right? Because they're, because they're focused on developing their technology or, or, you know, getting their next round of, of funding and, and thinking about making that investment, how important that is. That's uh, so if, if any of you are in the at listening or in that state, you know, really think about that, the investments that you make in, in your, in your people processes will really pay off for you. The, the, the ROI is, is huge, particularly again, in this labor market, it's just, um, it's not, not a time to be losing people um, because, you didn't invest way where you might have invested. Exactly. Exactly. One hundred percent. Yeah. So I want to go back to something you said a, a few minutes ago. Um, back at the beginning of, of our conversation, we talked about transactional HR and HR and how you always bring the the, the human resource department in uh, to be part of the work that you do. And then you also just mentioned marketing and communications, marketing slash communications. And it sounds to me as if as if you're saying um, to some of these organizations, hey, you already have these skills um, in your organization, but you're asking them perhaps to redirect some of that work to support how the, the organization does its people development. Absolutely, absolutely. And it, it's really about, I think it's this shift, this pivot that's happening that we're finally realizing that HR should move away from the more operational to some extent. I think there can be some admin HR type roles, but HR should really be a partner in the business. And organizations need to value HR as a strategic partner within the business. And part of that partnership is to help kind of bridge those, 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 um, bridge those connections with all of our existing resources and, and how could we all work together as partners to advance the broader purpose of that organization, right? Uh, and I think marketing and communication is really a key one because it, it's the number one complaint of employee engagement surveys is lack of communication, bottom line. So you need to make sure that not only are your leaders trained to communicate effectively, but provided the tools and the channels to be able to do that well, right? And they have to be able to do that in a way that employees perceive as being with integrity, not giving spin, being, you know, when when the leadership says something, you can rely on it being actually accurate and they're not hiding something. The credibility thing, right? It's, yeah, it's a yeah. credibility builder for sure. And it needs to be authentic. I agree. Yeah. It's, uh, I think for some, for some leaders, that's tough. I mean, that they're, they're brought, Sort of brought up as leaders to hoard information, and hoard maybe isn't the right word, but to reserve information, um, perhaps mm -hmm. not not necessarily to share some of the struggles that but the organization is going through. I often tell clients, and even when I was in government, I would say, you know, we recognize that operationally, sometimes you're not in a position to share information. But even saying that, listen, mm -hmm. at this moment, because there's too many variables that, that are likely to come into play, 
I, I can't give you more than I'm giving you right now, but I do commit to giving it to you, giving you guys more information the minute that I'm, you know, I'm capable to do so. Even just, you know, kind of saying that and 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 putting it out there that I'm 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 giving you everything I'm able to at this point will go a long way in terms of helping your employees still feel like they're in the know. And then following it up with really doing it when that yeah. information really Absolutely. is available. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Lorian, when you so you you've talked about working with with growing companies, I think that another challenging kind of organization to work with is is sort of the older company, right? The company that's been around for a while. This is the way we do things. Um, what are the challenges are there? Challenges? <laughs> I've got a, I've got I'm working right now with a client um, with another client who. The father is still, he was the founder of the company. Uh, and so he's now wanting to step away. And he's got his three boys who are going to be taking over the company. And where it gets really interesting is, is precisely to what you're saying is, I think senior leadership thinks that if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But mm. that younger succession recognizes the importance of diversifying, you know, their their particular product, their their particular service, and they're really trying to innovate. But they're having to work within a very small box of innovation, if you will, because they've got the senior leadership that is stuck in their old ways. There's again, there's that whole mindset work that needs to change, and they need to. I've actually recommended that they reset their strategic planning and, and actually develop a vision collaboratively with senior leadership, that, that more seasoned um, leadership alongside the younger generation of succession to be able to make sure they're on the same page and that they have a vision that they all believe in and they want to strive for. Because the vision they had was 10 years old. Well, you know what, 10 years ago, where you wanted to take this company has likely changed and evolved over the past, you know, 10 years. So, so really working at, at, at helping them see. So it is more challenging because then you've got a, a lot of pushback to navigate, but that's where initiating a change management strategy alongside this talent development strategy implementation is really key so that you're helping provide the tools for your existing employees um, to, to be more resilient to some of the, the initiatives being rolled out and be less overwhelmed. Uh, but I think there's a way to do it again, strategically, um, but and, and still very effectively, but making sure that you are aware that change management uh, strategy will also have to be married to that talent development strategy rollout. So when you say change management, a lot of people talk about change management. When What do you include in that? Um, I include, you're going to laugh, communications, of course. You think yeah, I'm, right. You think I'm comms, right? But I'm not. Um, it's uh, I use Cotter's eight eight steps. That's the methodology that I, I I implement is really about you know creating that sense of urgency, helping people recognize why uh, why things can't continue as they are, and what are the risks of continuing status quo and then helping really develop that that vision of what's the what are these changes going to bring and why are they positive and why are they actually going to improve on our processes and improve on our ability to deliver uh the services that we're striving to deliver and then developing a coalition right and that coalition is key because those are your champions those are your cheerleaders they're your myth busters so having representation on that working group or that coalition from all levels of the organization so that you've got these people at all levels that are key to advance 
advancing these initiatives and making sure that they're demystifying some of the gossip that's likely going to arise mm. from, you know, the rollout of the change. And then once you, 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 you've started to roll it out, then definitely communicating on a regular basis on any of the quick wins that have occurred and celebrating those quick wins, all the while keeping your eyes on that longer term win, that, that longer term prize that or vision that you're trying to implement, right? And then communication, communicating regularly. So really it revolves around those, their standard methodologies, but they're really key in making sure that you're doing this um, strategically and that you're preempting some of the, the like, the common roadblocks uh, that tend to arise during any change rollout, right? It's a, it's almost as if with the you know with that particular methodology that that methodology is also part of that people development, right? Because as we said earlier, that change is is the only constant right people we all have to get used to change we all have to understand that change is going to continue to happen um the world is the world moves quickly and so that you know knowing how to do that is part of what leaders should have in their suite of skills right they, and, and know how to particularly to pull um yeah you started with communication but you know pull on that communication leader get communication help you know have a standard way to communicate all of that has to be part of of what a leader does not a separate thing change management shouldn't be a separate thing the hr does on the side after you've made a big decision no, exactly. Sorry, for some reason I went on mute there. Uh, but no, I 100% agree. And it's, it's actually a means to an end too. When you think about those 10 motivational drivers, right? Those 10 engagement drivers that I help infuse. Think about it, your change management strategy. If you're giving them an opportunity to have their say, if you're giving them an opportunity to, you know, provide feedback, if you're helping them see the quick wins and help them recognize the how their work actually factored into that quick win, they're actually ways of driving all of those motivational pieces, infusing them throughout the entire process, right? That it's a means to an end without even realizing that that's what you're actually doing you're you're facilitating connection with their peers by having that coalition and, and by having these these town halls these forums on a regular basis to communicate what's going on and where they're at relevant to that whole maybe change trajectory if you will um and so it's a means to really drive that level of engagement at every step of that process Lorianne, how can people find you um i'm on linkedin uh, also have a, uh, a website, www.thepeopleperson.ca. On the website, I've got uh, a number of resources available. They're also welcome to join my Thrive Hive, where uh, it's a community of leaders globally, and we communicate and provide tools and resources on the regular to be able to help them shake up and improve on their overall workplace culture. Uh, so certainly welcome to reach out any of those ways. And I'm, I'll gladly share, I've got a one pager infographic that I can share with you on those 10 drivers and what they, you know, what they mean, what they translate to and what's the value of implementing them. So I'll gladly share that with you as well if you wanna share with your listeners. Oh yeah, that'd be great to, to add to the show notes. Thank you so much, what a, what a nice thing to do. Awesome, my pleasure. What, what what would be your one piece of advice to a young person starting out? Uh, it's a journey. It's about the journey and recognizing that it's about the journey and knowing that, you know, 
if you don't like where you're at right now, move. You're not a tree. Uh, you know, it, it's it's true. What's the biggest, I, I often when I'm coaching clients, I'll talk about, you know, what's the biggest little step you could take today? By the end of the day today, what's the biggest little step you can take to improve on your situation? To, you know, get you one step closer to where you want to ultimately be. And so I, I would say, recognize it's a journey. Understand that, you know, today's, if it's a bad day, it's a bad day. It's not a bad year. Tomorrow is a new day. So what can you do differently tomorrow that you've learned from today? And what can you, what's the biggest little step you could do today to improve on your situation? That's beautiful. Great advice. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, Laurie and Duguay, thank you so much for traveling with me to the edges of Lean. And thank you for having me on, Bella. It was a great conversation. This is Bella Engelbach, and I'd like to thank Laurie and Duguay for being my guest on the edges of Lean. What did you learn from this conversation? What ideas did it spark? We would love to hear from you. Find Laurie-Anne at thepeopleperson.ca or on LinkedIn. Find me on LinkedIn or at leanforhumans.com or comment wherever you watch or listen. Subscribe and tell a friend about the Edges of Lean. Please join me in exploring more of the Edges of Lean. There's a lot to learn. And check out my friends in the Lean Communicators community at leancommunicators.com. You'll find more podcasts and videos with lots of great new content every week. The Edges of Lean is written and produced by Bella Engelberg with support from Podcast Inc. This is a Lean for Humans production.